0: Hello Boundary Waters podcast listeners, Claire Shirley from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters here. Hey y'all, I'm Dan and I own and run Sawbill with my wife Claire. We live here at Sawbill year-round and we love watching the ebb and flow of visitors with the changing seasons. Right now we're busily opening up our store, getting gear out of storage, prepping new canoes with our custom yoke pads that we make right here at Sawbill, and measuring the lake ice. Since we have the good fortune to live right on the edge of the wilderness, we keep a close eye on the spring melt conditions. We regularly measure the lake ice and put reports up on our website, sawbill.com, as well as on social media. Just this week, when we went to the landing to measure the ice, we noticed fresh moose tracks. We followed the tracks right to the edge of the slushy-looking ice, where we could just imagine the moose stopping and assessing her chances. She made the safe choice and turned around to plunge through the drifts of snow in the campground rather than crossing the degraded ice. The other thing we spend a lot of time on this time of year is answering phone calls and emails. If you have any questions about the logistics of new-to-you entry points, routing, permit availability, we would be glad to chat with you about it. And while it may seem like permits are already fully booked, they really aren't. Uh, we can help you game plan a new route or even a backup plan in the Superior National Forest backcountry. Sawbill manages a 50-site campground here on Sawbill Lake, which is another great option, especially if you're a base camper. The canoe launch on Sawbill is just a 15-minute paddle from the wilderness boundary with plenty of different places to explore. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, as well as our website, sawbill.com, or by email, info at sawbill.com. It's been a long winter and we are excited to start welcoming you all back to the wilderness again soon. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters
1: Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids, you know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters.
0: And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast. And you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've
2: done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching walleye there before.
3: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters and it's, it was really cool, it was my first time.
0: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake
1: with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack. Uh, We take it in
3: one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue.
1: Welcome to episode 89 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm Matthew Baxley.
4: I'm Joe Fredericks here on the Gunflint Trail. Today's episode is
1: all about soundscapes. What do you hear right now, Joe Fredericks?
4: I hear a white pickup truck, Chevy, driving up the Gunflint Trail headed in the direction of the Boundary Waters away from Lake Superior.
1: Listen a little deeper. What else
4: do you hear? Birds. Running water. Different kind of bird there. It's
1: a pileated woodpecker.
4: There's a raven or a crow. All of a sudden, there's a lot of things I hear that I was just paying attention to the road. Well
1: today, we learn to listen deeply.
2: This is in 2016, I was at uh, Caribou Lake with my brother and my nephew and my sister-in-law. There was a bluff up behind our campsite and I could hear a Swainson's thrush up there. I'm like, oh, I gotta get this. And so I went up there and set up my equipment As that was happening, I heard a little bit of thunder in the distance, and I'm like, "Oh boy, uh oh!" But I set it up and I let it go. You could hear the thunder getting closer and closer, uh, and the you know the Swainson thrush is still singing. That's a really wonderful recording to me because it just it's it's what's happening in the you know geophonics and, and weather aspects of the the situation but also what's going on with the, the birds that are in that situation it's was, it was really uh, that, yeah I really I love that recording My name's Paul Dickinson. I'm an artist based in Chicago and uh, I have been going to the Boundary Waters since 2002 and one of the things that I do when I go is I like to record the sounds of the Boundary Waters because it is one of those wonderful quiet places uh, where you don't hear a lot of jets or or any, any of the things that, you know, we get inundated with in modern life. Well, my brother was a uh, was a scoutmaster, and he had already led several trips up there, both with uh, Boy Scouts and also church groups. So, so he and his wife had been up there and along with their kids several times before I eventually ended up going up there. And kind of, you know, we went camping as kids, and you know, so we liked being in the woods. You know, my brother was like, "Hey, you know, you should go." So. And I had I had no experience canoeing at all. So the first time I went up there, it was kind of like, wow. I was really just amazed at how uh, incredible the, the sounds were up there. You know, it's just like really, yeah. It's a pretty rich environment. I used to be a musician. Part of that uh, involved getting excited about recording equipment very early on in my life. And eventually I studied film, ended up uh, working in the film industry a little bit in Milwaukee. In the, in the practice of, of recording dialogue for film, you have to really make sure that things are quiet so that uh, dialogue can be cut together from multiple takes and so forth. And so I was kind of like the noise cop on set, trying to make things as quiet as possible. One of my favorite parts of that practice was uh, the gathering of room tone. When I started to get started shifting a little bit more into the art world and away from the sort of commercial production world, one of the first things I did in that was a series of, of sound pieces that were based around that practice of collecting room tone. It also got me interested in acoustic ecology, thinking, thinking more about how much noise we get subjected to in our daily lives, and how little consciousness there is around that. I also was thinking a lot about just the, the uniqueness of specific soundscapes. And I think uh, I think it's Bernie Krauss, who's a really well-known composer and acoustic ecology practitioner. But that every location on Earth ha- has a unique sound signature, and that is a unique sound signature for every moment in time. So it's never a static thing. It's always you know it's always changing. The
1: significance of Bernie Krause to this study of sound has been
4: significant. Bernie Krause wrote a book called The Great Animal Orchestra and in it he talks about this profound experience he had at a watering hole in Africa where he was capturing animal sounds to be used in various platforms sound and even video and he went to sleep with it rolling and that's when he had this epiphany, this realization that it's not trying to get one sound, a lion roaring or an elephant or something that all of these sounds, the sounds we hear out in the boundary waters, they're all actually connected. They're different frequencies from different animals so that they can be heard in this conglomeration of sound. It all seems scattered, but it's actually all connected.
1: Exactly. And Kraus explains that that collection of sound is the signature voice of the natural world. And as we hear that collection, that's when we're most endowed with a sense of place and the truest story of the world that we live in. And we hear it in a matter of seconds.
2: And he kind of proves it by, you know, comparing one particular place in California that was subjected to selective logging and it radically impacted the soundscape even though you couldn't see the effect that the selective logging had, you could hear it. One of the things that I like about, you know, going to the boundary waters and and having done this for so many years is that, you know, I can kind of track that change over time of the soundscape. the Song Sparrow and Ravens recording, which th- that was on Seagull Lake in 2013. But there's there's one campsite in, in Seagull Lake where there's a beach <laughs> and it's like, I think it's the only beach in Seagull Lake. There's this point away from the campsite and there was a, a Song Sparrow just singing away uh, one morning, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna try to get as close to this guy as I can without disturbing him." I managed to get in uh pretty close to him. you know, I set up my stuff and and let it go and i I recorded for several hours there, actually, and he was singing the whole time. We decided to go for a day paddle over to the... You know, took this little day paddle over, and um, my recording equipment was just going, and once we got away and the, there were some ravens that showed up and they, they just sounded like a bunch of rowdy teenagers, you know, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, I just, I like that one too, because it's, there's a lot going on there. One bird is kind of just singing away singing his heart out and then there's all these other other birds showing up and you know the ravens are kind of hanging out and getting rowdy Back in the early nineties, I was working, you know, as a sound recordist for, for film and video, and I just happened to be flipping through the channels and, uh, on PBS, there was a documentary featuring Gordon Hampton and it was called the vanishing dawn chorus. And you can't find it anywhere now. Like he doesn't even have a copy of it just watching that and seeing gordon go to all these different places and try to record the dawn chorus in a place that was free of human generated sound um that also like really inspired me to um you know start doing something along those lines as well i was already kind of leaning that way and then i saw that i was like oh yeah
1: <laughs> gordon hempton is another modern and very relevant acoustic ecologist who has cultivated this practice of being an attentive listener.
4: He's a really interesting person, Matthew. He was just interviewed in GQ magazine in March, 2023. So he's still out in the field doing this, and still learning is something he said about this. Something he's recently tapped into is he's waking up actively in the middle of the night and he wants to. He's Discovering the 9-to-5 concept, just how human-created that is. And that people traditionally woke up in the night to stoke the fire. Whatever it is, they just woke up. The sleep pattern wasn't what it is. So he's finding all these sounds at night that he had missed out on for most of his life. And capturing that sound. He is also really open about the fact that he's not out in nature all the time. Just like you and I aren't. He works in front of a computer when he's capturing the sound, but those moments that he's out there, that's where it's all connecting, coming, coming true, at night, in the morning. It's just really amazing to think about these people who are so aware of sound. And one of
1: Gordon's conclusions is that silence is actually an endangered species, and it's on the verge of extinction. So that means it's worth protecting. He defines real quiet as presence, not an absence of sound, but an absence of noise. And he so inspired Paul that Paul built his own system
2: to listen to the natural world. So I use a, a you know stereo microphone system that I Built A friend of mine, uh, Rob Danielson in Wisconsin, did uh, actually basically came up with a design, you know, you build it out of wood and it's essentially the same homemade uh, system. I looked at Rob's design and I'm like, oh, well, that's great. I built one and I took it with me up to the boundary waters a couple of times. Uh, You know, weight is an issue. When, when you're portaging, right? <laughs> I looked at the design and I'm like, I thought, well, I, how can I make this lighter? And I figured out that I could make the body of this thing out of closed cell foam, cut it to the same shape, cut a couple holes in it for the microphones. And, and there's actually a component of it that's modular where I can put different size panels on it to enhance different frequencies in the soundscape. So that's yeah. So that's what I use now. So it's very lightweight. I'm still bringing a lot of stuff with me, and yeah, it makes the portages a little bit longer. <laughs> I just I just feel like that you know I've got to do it this way because this is this is the the way I want to hear it. This is on Red Rock Lake, August of 2010, five or 5.30 in the morning. The campsite we were at, there was a, um, like a little inlet behind it. I pay attention to the way the topography uh, affects the sound i kind of like spend a little bit of time listening to how things reverberate within the environment i found this spot that was just like to to me it was great it just sounded really really nice and didn't know what i could expect in terms of sound i mean i think i i think i remember seeing the eagle nest across the way there's a point where it it just sounds like there is without anthropomorphizing too much it sounds like there's a a heated debate going on between a loon and a bald eagle there's a red-breasted nuthatch that's closer to the microphone that seems to be picking up on the tension It's very easy to project into these recordings, what's going on, but I wasn't there, so I didn't see what happened, but it certainly sounds like the eagle may have swooped up one of the loon's uh, chicks. It, It certainly sounds like it. You can definitely hear it swoop in. You can hear the impact splash. Then you hear the eagle flying away The loon, much more distressed afterward. And you can hear the eagle kind of chattering back at the loon. It is definitely like a little... Almost like a little radio play or something, because there's so much going on there. For about 10 years, I was also a body worker, I was doing Shiatsu therapy. That was another reason why I collected a lot of these recordings is to play that back in my treatment sessions. You know, we don't get enough natural quiet. You know, I don't have any scientific, like double blind studies to back it up. My clients appreciated it. And I feel like it helped them to relax. And there were some recordings that did not help them relax. You would think that like a dawn chorus would be a relaxing thing, but it actually isn't because everybody's trying to be heard. In recent years, a lot has been made of the practice of forest bathing, just like kind of like having that connection with green space and wild space, unstructured nature. And I think that also goes for sound. And there are certain soundscape that are just like triggers a relaxation response, I think. There's one place that I go to just about every year. It's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. The first time... I went to this one specific spot there I'm arriving in the evening all I can hear are hermit thrushes and Swainson's thrushes and wood thrushes like it was just like it was the 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 forest of thrushes as I'm walking down there's like a half mile path leading to the campsite I was just like, oh, this is magical. This is truly magical. On hearing that, I just kind of like melted into, like, oh yeah, this is what I drove eight and a half hours to get to, right? I've had similar experiences in the Boundary Waters. Yeah. Getting back to the idea of be, being attentive and, and being conscious in your listening. I think one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to filter out things that, you know, that are not directly related to some kind of like communicative value. You just have, You just have to like kind of understand like, oh, there's well, other beings are communicating too. And you, you know. You can appreciate that
4: Matthew just by listening and being included in this episode I can already feel that I'm going to have a different relationship with sound the next time I'm in the boundary waters
1: And I don't think it has to be limited to just in the wilderness a few days ago I woke up in st. Paul at my sister's house and I went for a morning walk with my cup of coffee and all I could hear was the dawn chorus. And it was in the middle of me working on editing this. And my attention to sound has become so heightened because of Paul's recordings and learning to attune. So I want to invite our listeners, as you hear the sounds of the wilderness in this episode, pay attention to the feelings that happen in your body to the way that the sounds bring up memories and build connections with the world that you already love and sink into the reality that this forms as much of your experience as anything you see or touch or smell, but it can happen anywhere.
2: I really appreciate the sort of natural quiet of the Boundary Waters is uh, gaining some official, quote unquote official recognition, you know, Quiet Parks International has designated the Boundary Waters as, uh, as a quiet park. I think that's really long overdue. Let's, let's hope it continues. The next trip I'm taking is to the uh, Olympic Peninsula visiting one square inch of silence. Which is a, a place in the Ho Rainforest that uh, Gordon Hempton designated as one square inch of silence, lobbied the National Park Service and Congress and so forth to, you know, have it designated as a no-fly zone. I really appreciate the work that uh, that Gordon has done. I know he's also very involved in the Quiet Parks International. If people are interested, yeah in uh in this i i would recommend yes uh there's one square inch of silence i think it's one org. there's also uh quiet parks international and then there's also the world forum for acoustic ecology Uh, all of all of those are good uh resources to look into if you're if you're interested in um, natural quiet and acoustic ecology
4: matthew the next time we're scheduled to be in the wilderness is on fishing opener weekend. And of course I'll be looking forward to catching some fish hopefully, but I'm also going to be so excited. I already am excited to just listen to the boundary waters.
1: We're going to be hammock camping and I am already imagining laying in the hammock, hearing the dawn chorus tuning to everything throughout the day from the sound of the paddle in the water to your hoots and hollers bringing in a fish that we don't exist separate from that soundscape we become a part of it when we're there and that is a magical thing we get to do real soon
4: matthew Listeners want to hear more of Paul's Soundscape recordings. Where, where do they look?
1: Well, Paul made sure to let me know that if anybody wants to buy his recordings, he's got some on Bandcamp at pauldickinson.bandcamp.com. But you can listen for free on SoundCloud. Let's let Paul tell you where to find those and take us out with another soundscape from the wilderness.
2: Soundcloud.com slash Paul-Dickinson
3: to sing i love to dance i play the fool if i got the chance all around the campfire light all around the campfire light all around all around all around the campfire light